Hello, and welcome to Capital Compass. We are the official podcast of the New York State Catholic Conference. I'm your host, Jillian. Today, in episode 24, I'll be talking with Father Mark Riley, retired Marine and pastor of St. Peter's Parish in Messina, about a life of service. In honor of Veterans Day, this episode is dedicated to all those who have served our country. We thank you for your sacrifice. You are in our prayers on Veterans Day and always. We'll be right back after a brief message. Are you interested in staying up to date with New York State legislation pertinent to the Catholic Church? Do you want your Catholic voice to be heard? Sign up for the Catholic Action Network by going to our website at nyscatholic.org action dash center or texting can to 50457. Again, can, C-A-N, to 50457. Today, we are joined by Father Mark Riley. He is a retired Marine and Navy reservist. Um, he's been a priest for the Diocese of Ogdensburg since 1997 and currently serves as a pastor for St. Peter's Parish in Messina. Uh, we're going to get more into his background uh, throughout this interview, but I just want to welcome him. So thank you for coming on. Well, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, so to start, after graduating from Lemoyne College, you served active duty in the Marines from 1986 to 1992. From there, you entered the seminary. Going from the Marines to the seminary is, uh, you know, quite a change. Uh, when did you decide when you wanted to become a priest? You know, was there a specific event that led to that decision? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. You know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint any one particular moment when it occurred, but it was something. There, there was a ferment occurring, I guess, over a number of years. I considered it off and on for a number of years, even through through uh, high school and college. But I got more serious about it when I was in the Marines, and not a burning bush moment. But one of the things that really struck me was that there was this uh, being confronted with mortality on a number of occasions and acquaintances and friends who who died in the service and guys I knew. And there were a number of times just getting slapped in the face as a, uh, a young 20 something thinking you got the world in your hand and you get the, you know, the tiger by the tail and you had to realize, oh my gosh, that could be me, you know? And um, a couple few of those moments and, and some really great Navy chaplain priests that I met, inspiring guys that um, they really uh, got me to think more seriously and take more seriously this consideration of you know, my life's call. And, and um, yeah, so it was after the, the first Gulf War in, in 1991, coming home, really, I, said, I, I really got to check this out. Well, you served as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps earlier in your life. You were called up to active duty in 2005 in Iraq and 2012 in Djibouti as a Navy chaplain. What was it like going into duty, you know, at a, as a different capacity? Yeah, it was a different capacity, very different, you know, before. In the, in the late 80s and 90, early 90s, I, I was I was an, a Marine officer and, and serving as a Marine officer in, in the cockpit of a helicopter. And this was different. Um, although, you know, certainly the, the background, having a sense of the language, having a sense of, uh, you know, what, what the life is like, that, that I think that was to my benefit and not just my benefit, the benefit the, the Marines and sailors and soldiers that I served. Um, but uh, going to Iraq in 2005 was quite an interesting experience. Maybe that's an understatement. <laughs> um, but um, 
The crazy thing is I, I ran into a few acquaintances that I had served with as a Marine in the Marines when I was in Iraq in 2005. I hadn't seen some of these guys in 13, 15 years. And um, that was quite an experience that, that itself. But I had um, a number of occasions in which there were opportunities to, to serve, to just simply sit and talk with, be with uh, Marines and soldiers and, and, and others dealing with the challenges and the stresses that were associated with being in the combat zone. And there, there were, uh, you know, if something really stands out. It was really a, a strange set of circumstances and something that really I'd never thought was such epidemic until about that time was um, pornography. And I remember talking with a, a Marine, you know, surrounded by sandbags in a, in a bunker. He wanted to talk. It was the middle of the night. He was making the rounds of these and um, just talking with this guy who's basically saying, Father, I'm addicted to pornography and it's wrecking my marriage. And a lot of times in those deployment circumstances, standing long watches and, and maybe you know, punctuated by certain moments of excitement or whatnot, but um, I got a lot of time to think. And I remember thinking to myself, my gosh, you know, if this guy has ever had a chance to talk about this and, and start to work through some of the problems and see if he can um, get a a path forward to, to, to do better in life and, and maybe work on this, this real serious problem. And that came up on more than one or two occasions. And this one particular is our conversation got interrupted by a rocket attack. But the fact is, you know, um, which maybe made that conversation stick in my memory more. Um, but I ran into that on more than a few occasions. I was, I was stunned. I think I'm in hindsight coming home after that in 2006. I was like, my gosh, the number of times people just approached me and said they're struggling with pornography. It was, it was amazing. Um, and having also... Um, some background in, in aviation, you know, that, that, that was helpful. Just going out to the flight lines, hitching a ride with, with, uh, with the Marines or the Army to, to go from one combat outpost to another and having a chance to kind of anticipate what was happening because understanding what was happening in the flight line or, you know, with, with the um, operations in, in that way. So having a bit of the language background, I think was helpful. Can you, for our listeners, describe kind of what the day-to-day -day activities for an armed services chaplain is? You know, obviously it's quite different than being a pastor um, in a local diocese. Well, it, there, there are certain things that are, are quite similar, just being a pastor for one, but yeah. It, um, and then, you know, a, a deployment set of circumstances or being in a, in a combat zone is one thing, uh, being back home and, and uh in garrison or at a base, uh, that there'd be another set of circumstances. But as far as say a, a deployment circumstance, uh, a big part of the life is they they call it deck plate ministry. You know, just walking the deck plates um, aboard ship, but not necessarily aboard ship, but just getting out, uh, seeing and being seen. For for me, it was uh, a matter of you know, rising in the morning, making sure I get my liturgy of the hours and prayers in for the morning, um, and then just hitting hitting the hitting the decks, going around and visiting the various places. Quite often, just getting around to the various posts, whether they're, you know, workspaces or, or sentry posts and such, uh, giving soldiers and sailors and Marines a chance to see me, get to know me, get a little bit familiar with me so that they might be comfortable enough to bring a problem or present with some issue that they want to ask about if they, if they kind of get to know you first. So there, a lot of that, it, you, you hear the word often, you know, the ministry of presence. It's a real thing. And that it, it takes on a different 
flavor, I guess, when, when you're in a deployment. That presence is being present to where they are, and that presence could also be in, in, a, in a bunker with sandbags um, and, and flak jackets. Um, that's where they are, so that's where you go. That's a big part of it. Did a bit of long-distance marriage preparation for some, some, some guys and gals. Uh, one of the great experiences I had, a couple of them, once in Iraq and again in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa, had a chance to do a bit of a, an RCIA. Um, and received and baptized a couple of sailors uh, serving with the Marines and uh, at, at an Easter vigil out in the, in the desert in Iraq and in the Horn of Africa, uh, about 15 years apart from each other. It was a really neat experience. Uh, so you talk about it being a little different, obviously, being deployed overseas versus, um, you know, being home and being a chaplain. Uh, were you also able to, you know, help people in communities? I know you said you did some marriage counseling. Um, well, uh, you know, often in a deployment situation, Iraq was different. But when I landed in Djibouti, which is in the Horn of Africa, that was about, uh, I was there 10 years ago right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, they, they do rely often on the on the chaplains to provide some form of community relations liaison type arrangement. I, I did foster and develop a relationship with her. There was a Roman Catholic bishop in Djibouti, tiny little church there, uh, church community there. Um, and uh, we did get involved with a number of orphanages, charitable works. Uh, uh, there were missionaries of charity there serving the very poor in that part of the world. There were a couple of schools. There was a, a little Catholic school called the Horn of Africa elementary school that the Bishop of Djibouti established. It was the first English language elementary school in that part of the world. And we would get uh, service members to volunteer to come out and help at the orphanage, or uh, there was a place called Caritas Djibouti, which was, you know, Caritas International was involved there. And, and we had a number of projects we were able to facilitate you know, in getting construction workers, Navy CBs and others to assist with uh, some refurbishing of some uh, facilities that really needed it. And, and so there, there wasn't a, a fair amount of that, that, that they relied on, on myself and my, my fellow chaplains. I think we had a, a, great, a great opportunity, and I think we, we made good use of the opportunity to introduce some of our soldiers and Marines to a local community and, and uh, got a bit of a cultural exchange, exchange out of the deal, too. Now, obviously, it's probably not that easy being a chaplain, especially being called to minister to service members, while well, obviously protecting the privacy of some people. Uh, are there any other stories you can, or experiences that might have uh, particularly stayed with you? Yeah, I, I guess I would say uh, one or two from, uh, from Iraq, uh, 2005-06. I remember um, actually before being called up to go to Iraq, I was teaching in Watertown at Immaculate Heart Central High School, um, Gold Cavaliers. And um, the, uh, I remember I, I was a reservist and being called to go to Lewis County, not far from Watertown, to a, uh, a Marine's uh, funeral who had been killed in action in Iraq. And um, being present, I, I didn't offer the funeral. I was there in my capacity representing the 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 uh, the service or his his pastor Protestant I think Presbyterian pastor did the service but I remember being present there uh, with the family as well some of them I'd cross paths with in other capacities and about two months later I got called up to go to Iraq and I wound up at the base where he was stationed and I went to 
one of the things we, we're called to do and, and is sometimes go to where they call uh, graves registration, which is essentially where those who are killed in action are, are taken and they do their best to, to dig in a dignified way to clean up the body and to prepare the body of, of a service member killed in action to prepare that body for being sent back home to Dover where they eventually go, go home for funeral rites. Well, they keep records of all that. And I had been called up there before and uh, to bless a body and, and to pray with the, the Marines who are doing their best to take a take care of them. And I remember looking through the book and I found this kid's name from about just three months before. And I had no idea I was gonna be right there where this kid came through. And I was at the other end a few months later or a few months earlier for his funeral. And it was a, a bit surreal. And I remember praying for him and for the family and also reaching out to the family to let them know I was where he was brought after he died. And I wanted them to know how respectful and, and, and careful and reverent those Marines were in taking care of their son's body. Never, never saw that coming, expecting to be in that spot. You, you see a lot of stuff, even as a chaplain. Mm -hmm. Now, many of our veterans who have served in combat come home, you know, damaged in some way or another, whether physically or perhaps, you know, suffering from PTSD, which can be as debilitating as physical injuries. And of course, of course, even chaplains aren't immune to this. Uh, are Do you think we're doing enough as a nation in caring for these war wounded warriors? And um, is there a role for faith communities to be part of that care? Oh, for sure. Um, I, I think there's a, there's been a great effort. Sometimes I, I think the effort is misdirected. I, I do think they're, they're throwing a whole lot more chemicals and medicine at, at soldiers and sailors and Marines uh, masking what I think are just natural responses. If somebody's traumatized and they're struggling with it, it's not a disorder. And actually something's going right. <laughs> if you've experienced some terrible uh, a trauma in, 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 and seen some really bad things uh, and you're re reacting to it, that'd be like, think, think of it this way. I think sometimes if you were leaning on a stove and you put your hand on a hot burner, and you react and jump around, you wouldn't say, man, what's wrong with you jumping around like that? We got to give you something to stop you from jumping around. No, actually, you're having a, a natural reaction to. Anyways, I think we over-medicate. Um, that being said, I know there's, that's, that, that's uh, maybe I'm touching the third rail here, but <laughs> um, I did go and make, uh, took, made a weekend uh, they don't call it a retreat. They call it an advance in, in the service. They don't like the word retreat, <laughs> but they made something called a warfighter advance, which I think is, is really powerful. It was uh, an alternative means by which uh, service members who are struggling with post-traumatic stress issues, um, they kind of talk about and work through and, and share their stories and maybe um, start to develop some alternative means by which they can work with the trauma that they're, they're dealing with that, um, that doesn't necessarily resort to, to medicine. Um, now, that doesn't rule out the need sometimes for, for meds for, for some folks, but um, I, I'm, I'm convinced that they're, they're, it's way overprescribed, but I'm not a doctor, so don't, don't, don't seek medical advice from me, but I'm pretty sure. Um, what we can do in the church and in um, our church communities, I think, um, give veterans a chance to tell their story if they are comfortable to. 
um, if they're okay with it, help them you, know, you hear language of the safe space all the time. I think there, there needs to be some safe spaces for vets to, to, to share their stories, share their, their um, experience. And, and quite often it, it's best done when it's done with other veterans. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of opportunities in my, my community in Messina, which we're really blessed. There, there is a house called uh, the Wing House named after a, a, a Vietnam veteran who made this house a gift and to something called Operation Grateful Nation. And it's a it's a little bit of a, a, a respite house for for service members right on the St. Lawrence River, not connected to my parish, but I'm involved there just the same. And uh, we make, uh, we have some some great opportunities for for veterans to um, share their stories with one another, and I'd love to see more of that actually. Now I don't want to get too much into this because I'm sure the comments are going to be um, rolling, but you know obviously we touched a little bit on medication. How much do you think? having that base of faith really helps soldiers heal medicine may or may not be for you, but how much faith can really help, not just obviously the, um, service member, but also just, you know, in general. I think, um, um, yeah, without, without lighting up your comment board, properly integrated, a, a person of faith, I think it is, it ha, has great footing to deal with the trauma. Sometimes I think people, have an expectation that if I have faith, then I, I shouldn't have these problems. And, and that's, I think, where people get into trouble. They might be disoriented or bewildered. But wait a minute, why, why, if God really is, if I'm in relationship with God, if I'm in, I've been faithful all my life, why is this bad stuff happening? Why am I struggling with this stuff inside? Shouldn't, shouldn't it be smooth sailing? Which, of course, is not the case you know we're called to take up the cross and we're often given very heavy crosses um faith is there to help us carry it and you know, god puts us together too and, and i think this is a huge thing is recognizing that we're, we're meant to assist one another in carrying our crosses not necessarily taking each other's crosses off each other's backs we're, we're going to have our unique experiences our own personal traumas uh whatever they be uh, war, war related or otherwise um, but uh, we're definitely meant to help one another in carrying those crosses. And, and um, but I, I will say, um, typically the, the folks who seem to do the best in managing that pain and that trauma are people who maybe, maybe not necessarily Christian or, or Catholic Christian, but have come to some measure of appreciation for uh, to, to use AA language and a higher power, as they understand, you know, realizing that they're in the hands of someone, something far greater than themselves and have great need of help from, and, and um, those who think they're going to John Wayne it and, and go it alone and, and be the strong silent types that are often the ones who, who um, break pretty sadly. Now, obviously, stateside, we've seen a lot of difficulties and a shortage of priests. So what are some of the challenges of finding and, I guess, retaining chaplains? It is a, it is a real problem. I'm really grateful. Um, and I know the, uh, I did uh, give Bishop LaValle, my bishop in Ogdensburg, uh, uh, an award for just his willingness to share us or, or a couple of us. Um, we don't have any chaplains off deployed or in active duty now from our diocese, but it, for a while we had a couple of few of us. 
Um, it is a real challenge, um, and it's a it's a big sacrifice for a diocese for a, for a bishop to look at his numbers of priests and what the things he has to handle at home, and then also go, oh wait a minute, yeah, you know, a good number of Catholics from my diocese are serving abroad. In fact, just this past weekend, I saw a kid um, who just came home from an eight month deployment aboard ship, just home on leave, and I was like, well, this, I remember him in our parish, but you know, I don't see him anymore. Why? Because he's off of the Navy and overseas. And when the bishop realizes that, there's a good number of Catholics, a good number of my flock who are off to the hinterlands and deployed and, and serving in the armed forces. And um, so we have some measure of responsibility for them. Um, but it is a, a big sacrifice. Um, I, let me, you know what? I, I remember um, as a 20 something going to daily mass, I was really starting to make a big turnaround spiritually in my life. and. I remember the armed, uh, the AMS, the Archdiocese for the Military Services, had after every mass uh, uh, asked that uh, the the angelus be prayed after every mass for vocations in the church and especially for uh, uh, priestly vocations, so we could have Catholic chaplains. And as a young twenty-something, that's when I first committed to memory the angelus. It was just hearing that prayed and praying it every day. Um, but it is a it's a it's a serious need. And it's uh, it's acute, and it's uh, it's not going away. Um, they are always short on the number of Catholic chaplains. Uh, they're, they're they're short in the staffing, in, in each of the branches of the armed forces. No question. Now, I do want to um, also let listeners know f- um, for those who might not be from the diocese of Ogdensburg or uh, know Bishop Valley, he also did uh, serve in the U.S. Navy. That's right. He's a Navy veteran himself. So. Um, it's definitely nice to see kind of that sacrifice um, willing to be made uh, to help people because it's communal effort. It is. It is, no doubt. Besides listening to their stories and, you know, giving them the space to breathe, how can the church better support our brothers and sisters in the armed services and especially their families, too, because it's not just those serving? Yeah, um, it, it's. Uh, I, I think what is it could be a, a great help is for families, depending on where you are. You know, there there are you know obviously depending on where you live. If you live in proximity to a a, a base, like right outside Watertown, where I was uh, in in Immaculate Heart Center, there's an, uh, there's Fort Drum. You know, a lot of soldiers and they don't all live on base. They a lot of them live out in town. A lot of them uh, go to church in town, not at the chapel on on the post. Um, um, and uh, I think one of the things that we could just do is obviously we should be praying all the time for families and, and soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen, um, but also uh, maybe offering opportunities for, for families to get together, especially when, when loved ones are deployed. Uh, and that happens with, you don't have to have a war for, we are constantly sending soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines uh, overseas on deployment, whether aboard ship or to posts overseas. Uh, they'll go for anywhere from three months to a year. And um, I, think, I think checking in with and, uh, and checking up on families of those, uh, those, those service members who are overseas is, is, is a great value. Acknowledging one that they're dealing with that deployment in the family and two, maybe offering whatever can be given as, as uh, solidarity assistance and, and, and loving support. I think that, that's, that's a, a big thing to consider. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And of course, uh, thank you for your service. Sure. 
Um, now I th- was thinking to close out this episode. You might, you know, as we approach Veterans Day, I thought it would be nice if you could close out our episode by leading our listeners in a prayer for our veterans. Sure. Um, you know what I thought I might do is uh, just, I, I had a seminary professor give to me, I've never seen it before, but uh, a poem, which is a prayer. Maybe you've heard it. It's, it's uh, the prayer of a soldier in France. You might have heard the name Joyce Kilmer. He was a Catholic poet and writer back in the early 20th century. In fact, I didn't realize this, but at some point along the way in his young life, he was um, often compared to and likened to G.K. Chesterton, um, an American form of a Chesterton, probably most famous for that poem, Trees. Um, but he wrote this prayer of a soldier in France. Um, and it's also, I think, poignant to understand that he enlisted in the New York National Guard and deployed to France, to Europe in 1917. And... Uh, never came home. He was cut down by a sniper's bullet. Um, but he had this to write, comparing the what can be a common experience of many soldiers um, in their life as a soldier and, and, and relating it to the sufferings of Christ and finding uh, consolation and union with Christ in this. So why don't we pray the prayer of a soldier in France. My soldiers ache beneath my pack, lie easier cross upon his back, I march with feet that burn and smart, tread holy feet upon my heart. Men shouted me who may not speak. They scourged thy back and smote thy cheek. They may not lift a hand to clear my eyes of salty drops that sear. Then shall my fickle soul forget the agony of bloody sweat. My rifle hand is stiff and numb. From thy pierced palm, red rivers come. Lord, thou didst suffer more for me than all the hosts of land and sea. So let me tender back, let me render back again this millionth of my gift, of thy gift. Amen. Lord, thank you for this day. We give you thanks for those who make a gift of themselves in service to this nation for the common good. Bless them and bless their families. And keep us all safe in your care through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to take a brief Thanksgiving break, and we'll be back in December. Thanks for listening to the Capital Compass podcast, and thank you so much to Father Mark Riley for coming on the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to catch the latest from the conference, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NYSCatholicConf and on Facebook at NYSCatholicConference. Thanks again, and God bless.